Welcome to Friendly Words, the sermon podcast of Pratt Friends Church in Pratt, Kansas. The message you're about to hear was originally preached at Pratt Friends Church on Sunday, March 5th, 2023. It focuses on God's rescue of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace. The message to all who will listen is God can be trusted in times of trial, even if he doesn't rescue in the way we think best. Now, here is Pastor Mike Neifert. God, thank you that you are in this place and you desire us to hear your spirit speak. So help me stay out of the way so you can speak directly into the hearts and minds of each person here, each person who's hearing. Thanks, God, that you brought our friends in online, that they can hear your word and respond to it as well. And God, I pray that today your name would be exalted and that you would do everything that you desire in us. In Jesus' name, amen. I have been inside a burning house exactly one time in my entire life. I do not recommend this. Uh, Let me tell you a story. I was walking from my house to the church building on a cloudless Sunday morning, as I recall, and my head was full of the tasks that I needed to do to get the building ready and get my mind in the right place so that I could preach that Sunday morning. At the church we were at, there was a sidewalk between our house and the church building, and I was walking across that, and somehow there was something that didn't seem quite right, something I sensed more than saw, like there was motion in my peripheral vision, and I turned my head to the left and there were billows of black smoke just pouring out of this house. You could see red and orange flames coming out the windows. All the tasks that I had in my mind, all the things that I was ready to do, those went out the window. Not their window, but, you know, they just stopped. I ran toward that house, and as I approached, I could see black figures silhouetted against the light of the flames, and I could see people going in and out of the house. They were collecting the things that were valuable to them. They wanted to make sure certain things got out of the house because it was fully engulfed. They wanted to make sure that their precious treasures got out. As I approached, I shouted, is everybody okay? Because I knew that they had kids. And the kids had been taken to the neighbors or sent to the neighbor's house. They were a couple doors down. They were safe, not inside. And so, understanding that the kids were okay, I did one of the dumbest things in my life. I joined them in grabbing stuff from their house. We even went up the stairs to the second story to get things. We should have been more afraid than we were, because walking on steps with fire underneath them, you never know when those stairs are going to collapse. After a few minutes... We finally came to our senses and said, it's time to step out. And the volunteer fire department got there. Thank God for the people who are willing to go in and to try to save homes and to save people's lives. They arrived, and we watched for a little bit. Ah, My heart's racing even now thinking about it. Just such a crazy situation. I am thankful for every firefighter, and I know that I do not have what it takes to be one of them. I'm not going into a house that's burning again. I'll keep everybody out. If you've been reading ahead in Daniel, 
you know that this week's episode in the adventures of Daniel and his friends includes a foray into the world of blazing furnaces. We've arrived at the most famous of stories, that story about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, three young Hebrews in the fiery furnace. A tale that's depicted fantastically in bright, vibrant colors in many children's books. I could almost draw from memory some of the illustrations from the Archbook version that we had in our home. It was one of my favorites. These guys are among the biggest heroes that I had growing up. Truthfully, though, the story of these three's brush with death isn't much of a children's story, much like many of the other Bible stories we depict in bright, shiny colors with smiley faces. It fits better in the action thriller genre. Cue the adrenaline-inducing spy movie music. This truly is a mission impossible, should you choose to accept it. Of course, we know that we can trust God in impossible things because we saw him act last week as he revealed the unrevealable. He told the king what the king had dreamed and then told him the interpretation. Nobody else could do that. In fact, Daniel acknowledged only God can do this. What no man could do, God did. God is trustworthy in little things like helping us through times when people are asking us to do little things that are just a little off of center from his will. And we can trust him in impossible things, but will he be found faithful in fiery things? Now, it's hard to imagine a different outcome than the one that we know and love, the one that's given us in Daniel chapter 3, but there was another possible end to this story one which would have involved the smell of burnt flesh and charred bones. Some followers of God have experienced the alternative finale throughout the centuries, haven't they? There are thousands, perhaps hundreds of thousands of people who have died for the faith, who weren't rescued. Let us not forget these martyrs as we continue forward, these martyrs who remained steadfast in their love for God, even as they perished at the hands of evil men. We'll talk more about that later. For now, we're going to open up our Bibles to that bookmarked page and dig into the first few verses of Daniel chapter 3. This is the prelude to the fiery furnace drama. So listen and follow along as I read the first three paragraphs of Daniel chapter 3, at least in my Bible there's three paragraphs. This is verses 1 through 7. Daniel 3, 1 to 7. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide and set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. 
Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. You know the age-old question that parents ask their teens? If your friends were all jumping off a cliff, would you do it? (laughs) Most young respondents say no, but then they do nearly everything that their friends are doing. They dress like their friends. They cut their hair in ways that won't elicit ridicule. They act in conformist ways so that they won't be embarrassed. They do this because their friends are doing it. I'm not finding fault here. This is just how we act. We see this pattern all over the place, and it's the pattern that I mostly followed when I was 16, 17, and 18 years old, desperately wanting to fit in. I do have to tell you a side story. I really wanted Levi's jeans because everybody was wearing them, but the only pair that I could afford in eighth grade when I had to buy my own clothes if I wanted to have fancy stuff were bell-bottoms. Okay, so this is in the 80s. They're not wearing bell-bottoms. Yeah, I got ridiculed for my first purchase. Anyway, all right, the story we've begun in Daniel chapter 3, verses 1 to 7, is of the all my friends are cliff diving head first without a pond to land in variety. And what we've read so far seems to indicate what we'd call lemming-like behavior. You know those rodents. Legend tells us that they follow each other off of high ledges and die as they fall en masse. This is what actually happens. This particular myth is based on some actual lemming behavior. You can tell I'm reading from a website, right? Lemmings have large population booms every three or four years. When the concentration of lemmings becomes too high in one area, a large group will set off in search of a new home. Lemmings can swim, so if they reach a water obstacle, such as a river or lake, they may try to cross it. Inevitably, a few individuals drown, but it's hardly mass suicide. I feel like one of those guys on Mythbusters. Anyway, back to our story. No more superfluous scientific stoppages. We all recognize the type of situation we're reading about here. We've experienced pressure to do what we're told. We've all bowed to the culture along with others at least once in our lifetimes, maybe even more than once, maybe once or twice this last week. Most of us have done so on multiple occasions. When the piper plays the tune, we join the parade. Nine times out of ten. Sometimes it doesn't matter much. Some of the things that we give into aren't sinful, like bell-bottom jeans. They're just a matter of preference. But some, if yielded to, lead us to violate God's ways. So this bow-or-die scenario in... Daniel chapter 3 is one of the latter. Centuries before this, Moses received the terms of God's covenant with his people. God was laying out, this is what I want you to do in order to be in relationship with me, and we call them the Ten Commandments. Anybody heard of those? Yeah? All right. So these are the commandments that God gave in order for he and Israel his people to be in relationship with one another. And the first two of these commands are, are, are commands that Nebuchadnezzar is inviting all the people to break. Let me read the first two of those found in Exodus 23 through 6. You shall have no other gods before you. That's one. 
Second one, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. Pretty straightforward. When we read in Daniel 3, 7, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, we're left scratching our heads, wondering, what about those guys that are the heroes of this story? What about Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel? Surely they didn't bow. Isn't it what we want for them to stand when everybody else is bowing. We need these brave heroes who don't bend to the pressure, young men who will do what God says, even if it costs them. The world needs this kind of people today. Are you among the faithful ones who trust God and follow him rather than the crowd? While you ponder your answer to that, let me read the next two paragraphs or so of Daniel 3. We're reading from verse 8 now. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Verse 13, furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music. Whew, they list this a number of times. If you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? It's been said that God is a God of second chances. Not to be outdone, King Nebuchadnezzar offers these young rebels a do-over. Doesn't he? He suggests that they'll be spared from the worst of fates, death by burning, if they'll do the right thing the next time that the band strikes up the Bow to My Idol tune. There's probably a song out there with that title. He thinks he's being generous. He could have made them kindling already. Most kings in his position wouldn't have hesitated a second to make an example of such ingrates. Nebuchadnezzar likes these guys because they proved useful to him. They were wiser than many others, right? He doesn't want them to die, and so he repeats his order to bow. Maybe he thinks a... Personal invitation is what they need. Maybe not. He renews his threat as well. Look again at the dire warning that he ended with in verse 15. But if you do not worship the image I made, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? I wonder whether the furnace was in the room where they were. Don't know for sure. 
might have been keeping everybody warm while they talked, did Nebuchadnezzar point at it with a flip of his wrist as he talked about their fate should they choose to disobey again? Some of what we're going to read now, Daniel 3, 16 to 23, seems to indicate that it was close at hand. Shall we read it? Starting verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. I've long had this, if you need to know right now, my answer is no policy. Anybody else have that? Like if somebody wants to know right now, no. I need time to think about it. I don't want to make rash choices. I need time to pray about it. I guess these three live by the same standard. The king wants to know their answer right now, and they say no. Actually, they say far more than that, don't they? They speak of trust in God. They say God is able to deliver us. They speak of their confidence in his power to rescue them. They speak of their resolve to obey, even if God doesn't help out. Douglas Birch, in his book, Posting Peace, says this to the three young Hebrews we're watching. This is what faith must look like when we have no idea what will actually happen at the end of the story, which is what we're living, right? We recognize that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they don't know the end of the story. We do, because we've read this before, but they're living this. Okay, let me go back. Let me read again. This is what faith must look like when we have no idea what will actually happen at the end of the story. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's faith moved forward regardless of the final results. The ending was secondary to their faith in God. Rescue is secondary. Healing, secondary. Comfort and security in this life, secondary. Faith in God is primary. We trust even if trusting does not benefit us or protect us or profit us. Is God trustworthy? If we believe he is, really believe, then we follow him even if things don't turn out for the best in our lives. Listen to what is said in Hebrews eleven thirty-five to 38. This chapter begins with a listing of faithful Old Testament follower of God after faithful Old Testament follower of God who trusts in every conceivable difficult situation 
Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and Rahab, they're all mentioned. They're commended for their faith in generally good circumstances. I know Abel was murdered, but beside him, they're in generally good circumstances trusting God. Then starting halfway through verse 35, we have this. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. Not everyone who trusts God wins at life, despite all the prosperity gospel preachers and their truth. Does this mean that God's not trustworthy? What do you think? If God fails to ask as you want him to, is he worthy of trust or is he not? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego don't think God is any less worthy of trust if he allows them to die in the furnace. In verses 17 and 18, they state what they firmly decided in their heart about God, that they will worship him and him alone. These are the words the king hears from their lips. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Pause for a second. One way or the other, they're delivered from his hands. He can't do anything else beyond killing them. They're going to be with God. So, that's true. But even if he does not, they continue, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. This is one of the main reasons that these men, along with Daniel, won my heart as a young boy. They stood up to the pressure and did what was right. They're heroes to me, heroes of the faith. All right, time for the best part of the story. Let's start at verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet. Remember, he's just thrown the guys in the fire. It was so hot, the soldiers who threw them in died. Okay, then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there, this is the craziest thing, there was no smell of fire on them. I mean, if you're roasting marshmallows on a fire, you smell like smoke when you leave the place. God is trustworthy. He is with us in the worst of the worst of the worst things that we face in every fiery trial. Even the ones that aren't literally fire. 
even as Isaiah was prophesying the destruction of Jerusalem, that God was going to deport God's people, he gave words of hope. Listen to what God's word to his people was as we have it in Isaiah 43, verses 1 and 2. This is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Now, we've already acknowledged God is worthy of trust, even if things don't go according to plan. Our plan, that is. We now readily note his presence with us in the middle of the ick. He is with you. He is with me. Praise God. With us. Nebuchadnezzar saw what God did. He watched as three young men were rescued, and he saw a fourth with them as they were walking around in the fire. Unbound, unharmed, didn't even smell like smoke. And do you know what King Nebuchadnezzar did? He honored God. Listen to this pagan king's words at the conclusion of the chapter. I'm starting at verse 28. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, these are his words, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their house turned into piles of rubble, for no other god can save them in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. God gets the glory when his people trust him no matter what. Even wicked kings recognize God's greatness and his power when he works for the good of those who are called by his name and who are faithful to him. Jesus said it plainly in Matthew 5, 14 to 16. He says to those who would follow after him, he says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Trusting God obeying him, doing good in his name, in the power of the Holy Spirit, that's how you and I can, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, draw our neighbors, our families, our friends' attention to the one true God, if we don't take credit for it ourselves. We can point them to the God who is trustworthy in all things, even in the fieriest of fiery things. I don't know what pressures you face, on a daily basis in your home or your workplace or wherever. But I know that you can trust God. Perhaps in the next few minutes as we wait before God together in silence, you can bring your trials to God, the things that you're going through that it's difficult to trust sometimes. Acknowledge your need of his help and your need of his peace. Let him strengthen you. 
to stand firm, whatever the cost. Even if he doesn't rescue, be faithful. May God grant you the courage and the blessing of his amazing grace as you pray and respond now. There was another in the fire. God, we sing it, and today we acknowledge that you're with us. Help us to trust you and to know that you're with us no matter what's going on. And God, help us to be faithful, to follow you, to be obedient to you, to trust you, whether you rescue us or not. Help us to remain faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you have been encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. If you want to hear each week's message, be sure to subscribe to Friendly Words in your podcast app. May God bless you as you follow Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit.